Hello, everybody. Welcome again to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List, and I am happy that you are listening to this. I hope that it is bringing you joy, comfort, wisdom, boners, any of the above, or more moisture for the ladies, or whatever it is you desire. I hope you're getting something out of it. Are we getting something out of this all-encompassing trip? Hmm? Eddie Vedder? Pearl Jam? Present tense. Great song. I used it as one of the quotes earlier in the uh, podcast. That's a wonderful song. Do you see the way that tree bends? Leaning out to catch the sun's rays? A lesson to be applied. Hmm? I think I already did that one. Anyways, welcome to uh, the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for subscribing. I hope you're subscribed. If you're just listening uh, for the first time or whatever, go subscribe and get updated or whatever Whatever happens when you subscribe. I don't know. I'm not really great at this, but um, listen to some other episodes. Listen to this episode. Spread the word. Tell some friends. Um, uh, it's, it's growing, I hope. I hope I'm trying to do something uh, good here help spread the word. Uh, today's exciting. My friend Ted Alexandro is on. One of the best comedians ever, I think. One of my favorite comedians. Um, I'll talk more about him in just a moment, but I do want to say a heartfelt thank you to everybody that has watched my new special, I Hate Myself, available on uh, YouTube. And I want to thank everyone that shared it, liked it, commented. Please keep doing that. Leave comments. Mention this podcast in the comments. So when people read it, they go, hey, check it out. I think some people have already done that. Um, so many people were in the chat room. It just, when it when it debuted or aired, whatever, went live, whatever the terms are. And uh, I just felt like George Bailey. Uh, it was delightful and uplifting. And everyone has said really nice things. And I'm trying to be in uh, tune, connected with the fact that... Uh, you folks, people listening to this are, are watching the special and enjoying it and not worry too much about what's going to come of my career and how I can monetize it and focus more on, um, on uh, the joy that it is hopefully bringing people and that it's bringing me. So thank you for everyone that has participated in that experience. It is making me feel good, uh, but also strangely making me feel sad because... Nothing is ever quite what you want, and maybe you don't get the reaction from certain people that you expected or hoped for. So it is uh, not all touchdowns and hand jobs over here. And uh, maybe it's putting me in touch with uh, the emotion of life in general, of missing friends, seeing friends. I think part of watching a little bit of the special with the chat makes you want to go and create more and freely run around doing sets for me. And I'm sure you all wish you could go to shows and see family more freely but things are starting to get better um i don't know i'm up and down with that too some people have good news it, it all depends on who you're talking to i guess some people have a lot of hope some people do not but um my guest today is a hopeful guy which is exciting anyways all that to say a lot of mixed emotions over here but um gratitude is one of the great emotions i'm feeling and, and gratitude will always make you feel better if you're struggling with anything there's always something to be grateful for, as I've mentioned before. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, some nice things are going on in your life. Certainly, you're doing well enough to take a break and listen to a podcast. 
So it can't be too horrendous, which is not to dismiss whatever problems you are dealing with. But anyways, put some gratitude in your attitude, as we say. Um, Back to today's episode, my friend and one of my idols, I would say, Ted Alexandro is on. Um, Ted is one of my favorite comedians ever. Uh, You should check out his stuff. He's got some great stuff. He has a special, I think, that's also on YouTube and albums and Comedy Central specials and all kinds of stuff, all kinds of places to find him. He's got um, a show that goes live on YouTube that he puts on his Instagram as well. Follow him on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Great, great comedian and uh, social activist, good friend, good guy. Um, I don't get to see him too often, but whenever I do, it's always a, a great pleasure. One time, a great experience I had with Ted was I went to Peru years ago to hang out with my ex-girlfriend, who was my ex-girlfriend at the time, and we had a great time, uh, but it was obviously emotional because she was my ex, and I probably still had feelings for her, yada, yada, and I came back after a 10-day trip to South America and just walked around Astoria Park trying to get my thoughts together, and Ted had just returned from a trip, I think, to maybe Iraq or Kuwait or somewhere to perform for the troops, and we both were sort of doing the same thing, walking around and kind of putting everything into perspective. And we bumped into each other and and sort of joined forces and did it together. And I believe it was on 9-11, 2010, um, which was interesting because I remember chatting about 9-11 a little bit. Anyways, Ted's a guy who uh, thinks uh, outside the box, I would say, uh, for lack of a better term. He's a really introspective guy, a really interesting guy. Uh, a very smart guy, and um, he's just somebody I really admire and look up to. So I wanted him on the show. I was excited to have him on the show. This conversation is uh, probably a little bit different from some of them. Um, as we talk about, Ted is not much of an anxiety and or depression sufferer himself, but he's been close to it with uh, siblings, as he'll discuss. And so... Um, a lot of it was a discussion on how he came to be the way he is, and we talk a little bit politics, just a trigger warning, and um, but not not too in depth. Um, we talk about uh, political correctness and cancel culture, I guess, to some degree. Again, for lack of better terms, and we had a, a good discussion on um, a reverent comedy, and um, Ted is just always really thoughtful and compassionate guy. And uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I hope you do as well. And um, I hope it's, at the very least, interesting uh, to you. And, um, yeah, I've probably talked too much. But uh, I'm grateful for you. If you haven't already, go check out I Hate Myself on YouTube. Check out Ted's stuff. And um, and enjoy the conversation. And before, I'll give you a little quote, as always. And this one is from Henry David Thoreau, who I just love. I was walking around Astoria, where Ted and I both reside, and saw that there's a school that I've walked by a million times named after him. And uh, I just love his quotes. Um, But here's one that you might enjoy. And it pertains to the way I've been feeling. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. That's Henry David Thoreau, and I referenced Eddie Vedder earlier. He has a great line of song. All the things you imagine needn't be stuck in your mind. Here's me and Ted Alexandro. I love you. 
I, I, do you feel like I feel like um, podcasts are very similar to stand up in that there's no non awkward way to start. It's all just like okay, it's begun. yeah. I think eventually there there will be no end. It'll just be one continue. We'll we'll be broadcasting some part of our life at all times. So uh, there won't you know there won't be any need for an awkward beginning or end. Yeah, is that something that you uh, are concerned with? You have a child now. Is your child in the social media realm? Are they on? Uh, We've got him set up with his own accounts. On uh, <laughs> uh, he hasn't been too active of yet, but uh, it's there should he need it. Uh, he's seven months old. Yeah, we actually. It's funny you mention that because my wife and I did have a talk around that topic and wanting to kind of shield him. Um, at least in the early going, other than like announcing that we had a baby boy and a couple of photos here and there, videos, uh, but not making him a constant source of content for either of our accounts. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I've, I've noticed some people, uh, it's weird. It becomes content where it's like, <laughs> all right, here comes uh, Susan's <laughs> surprise birthday party and there's, there's events that yeah. you're like, this really feels like it should be a personal event and not yeah. uh, recorded for Instagram. Right. No, I mean, I try not to judge anyone uh, because obviously, you know, there's, there's such a joy that comes with having uh, a child and you do want to share uh, how cute he or she is and all of that. Uh, but yeah, for us, like, I don't know, like so much of life seems unexamined now because we're just like, yeah, this is the next thing to do. Yeah, of course. We had a kid, the kid's on social media. Like, you know, like we kind of wanted to take a pause and say like, you know, maybe it would be good to shield this new being from the gaze. And also with, you know, me being a comedian. So it's not just like my account is, is friends and family, you know, uh, I just didn't want you know, my wife and I both did not want to turn our son into like uh, likes or comments, you know, just, just for the fun of it. Yeah, that seems uh, scary. And I feel that way even with um, my wife. We don't even have a child, but just my relationship with my wife. And uh, when we got married in, uh, we got married in the at City Hall and um, someone that was there posted on Instagram and I had not planned to, and it's, it's beautiful. It's a, a beautiful thing. We, we, we kiss and everyone loved it. I got a million likes, but I was kind of like, I accepted it after a while, but you're like, well, I, I thought that could kind of be our moment. Just the six of us that were the present. Was it the justice of the peace who, who posted it? Who yeah, it was. Well, I didn't want to name names. So, I mean, but um, they may listen, but I mean, and I'm not mad now. It's fine. I've accepted it and it pops back right. up and then you're, you're glad to have the memory. I mean, Instagram is good at being like, Hey, here's four years ago and I'll start crying. And I'm like, I wouldn't even have known this. So <laughs> right. that's nice. But you're somebody that I feel like has always been um, in tune and aware of that and cautious of all things like that and being manipulated by corporations is something that you were, you've been talking about for a long time. And now it feels like we're so in deep. We're so, we're so they just have us all. There's no getting around it. Yeah, you're you're essentially just managing the extent to which they they do have you, uh, you know, in their various files and what what have you. So there's no, there's no escaping it. But um, yeah, at least I do, and and my wife and I, you know, together do try to 
uh, have that discussion at least. Um, you know, but like everyone else, we're, we're on it more than we should be. And, you know, we go through those bouts of like, let's just go off the grid. Let's cut ties with everything. Let's shut down all, you know, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you have as well. You, 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 you contemplate those things, but then you talk yourself into it five minutes later that, you know, I need it for my job. I have, I have to, uh, it's, it's a necessity. So, you know, it's, it's the back and forth, but I, but I do try to be mindful around this thing that is, uh, ever present. Yeah, it's, it's tricky for sure. I got, um, I deleted Twitter off my phone and it felt great, but then I quickly realized that there is an internet browser on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I can just go to twitter.com. So it's we right found there. Found way around, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it was like three days of like, oh, wait. And then once you do it once, you realize oh, I could just keep doing that. But I have gotten much better with Twitter as Twitter to me is the most vile uh, place of all of that. It's just there's so much negativity. Instagram feels like relatively pleasant for the most part still. I don't, sure. know, I don't know what the science is behind that, but... Um, well, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, but uh, those thousand words are, are up to you. So that's, <laughs> that's the best part of uh, Instagram, whereas Twitter, they're, they're giving you the 140 characters or whatever it is. So, yeah, it, is, it can be such a cesspool of negativity. And I think also the algorithm, uh, I'm told, I've read certain things, uh, it feeds on the negativity and knows the things that you click on uh, and how much time you spend on them. So yeah, it's, it's, it is rather uh, uh, troubling, you know, the way that they kind of read our behaviors and the reasons why we click and how long we stay. So uh, I do think Instagram, at least, you know, a photo, uh, you can still have negative feelings, but it's not due to text. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I, that might be part of my experience is I'm posting mostly landscapes and sunsets. I'm not, um, <laughs> I'm not really posting, you know, swastikas or whatever. I'm sure I might get a, a more, um, uh, I couldn't think of an adjective, a more negative reaction though. Yeah, yeah. Well, even with a sunset, if you, if you put the right text, like, enjoy this while you can, you know, climate change, you know, you can, you can turn anything into, a, you know, kind of a rallying cry for how we're doomed. <laughs> yeah, I just had that recently. I posted something. There's a lot of things to hate about America, but uh, the, the sheer beauty is something, you know, something. And I got a lot of heat being like, why would you say that? America's great, whatever. And uh, to me, I'm like, surely no matter what side you're on, you would agree that there's many things to hate about America <laughs> right like even if you're I assume those are mostly sort of conservative people but I'm like well you must hate uh, you know liberals and BLM and uh, whatever 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 that, that those people are hating yeah so I'm like just imagine I'm talking about what you're thinking about <laughs> and isn't isn't hatred uh, vital to any love relationship uh, you know if you love your country uh, at some point you should really hate it you know, I, I think um, like hatred and love are, are, are kind of uh, partners um, if, if you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, that's one of the uh, themes of the show. I say it almost every week that love and love and hate or anger and uh, joy or good and bad are both sides of the same coin. You can't really have one without the other. Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, and there was some, there's some old quote, a true patriot must be ready to defend his country against itself or whatever that is. Or to I think a true patriot is willing to go uh, for uh, if it's fourth and, and long is, is willing to go for it. 
Isn't that, or maybe that's a specific to the football team. Something, something like that. I don't know, but that's a fantastic football team, and uh, <laughs> they're, the, they're the best one. And I don't care what anyone says. Um, but yeah, so everything, but everything gets put in that. Um, you know, every, everything gets dissected politically somehow these days. It sure. feels. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. I don't know. Like, I feel like those terms uh, almost are are so divisive now. You know, like when it really just comes down to like your immediate surroundings in your life. You know, I, I have an old man who lives next to me who's a Trump supporter, and you know he walks his dog, and we couldn't be more different politically. You know, I'm pretty much like uh, pretty far left of Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, whatever anyone needs, let's get it to him. Um, and you know, we have a nice conversation when he's walking his dog and I'm pushing my baby boy for, a, for in the stroller for a walk, you know? So I think like, again, getting back to social media and stuff, like we're, we're kind of in this constant battle to win little wars, you know, like, and to, to own somebody and to shut them down and roast and whatever else. Uh, when in fact, you know, like the neighbors and, and oftentimes family members that that we coexist with don't share our worldview, but but, you know, we're we're civil with them. We, we love them, you know. So, uh, yeah, it is. It's an odd thing when we're kind of uh, encouraged to always be combative. Yeah, certainly. And uh, a lot of I, I don't want to get uh, too political. It's hard not to talk politics with you because I always uh, enjoy it. It's, I know it's something you're passionate my about. My apologies. And, yeah, and yeah. I'm passionate about it also. <laughs> but uh, to the nature of the conversation that we're having, like any mention this this show so far, uh, very kind, thoughtful people listen. They don't get too upset or they haven't yet or they don't tell me at least. But um, any mention of politics can get dicey um but i read a great book by steve kornacki called the red and the blue and a couple other sources have talked about this that that a lot of this started with um newt gingrich kind of decided it was a better political um strategy to never go across the aisle where like all most of time working across the aisle and and working together was considered a positive and he kind of was the guy that was like why don't we say no to that and just start saying everything they're proposing is, is, is garbage and they're bad people. And that ended right. up being a, um, a winning strategy. And it continues to be both sides strategy now is going, these people are uh, complete garbage. They're horrible people. They want to ruin your life. And, um, <laughs> and it ends up just being, but that goes back to social media again. And that, that sells politically and it sells um, and entertainment as well. No, I think you're right. You know, that, that, that's proven, and certainly with Trump's presidency, it's proven that uh, the media really feeds on that, the nature of those types of things. You know, the combative, the, uh, anything that is divisive, uh, people want to click on it, no matter what side you're on, it is, um, there is something titillating or, or, you know, whether it angers you or you agree with it or whatever the case may be, you're more apt to, to click on something that is divisive in nature. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, I, I guess it does make a lot of money for a lot of people in, in the media realm. I remember famously, uh, Les Moonves said, uh, the Trump phenomenon was bad for America, but good for CBS, you know, so that to me, that kind of under, underlines the whole phenomenon of like 
people will side with the thing that is is profitable. Right. Well, well, I'm not. I'm here trying not to make uh, too much of a profit. I'd love to make a profit, but mostly <laughs> I want to help people with this show, anyways, with their uh, mental health. And uh, that's one of the reasons I've been dying to have you on is because you strike me, and I'm sure I'm, this is not completely true as like the most mentally healthy person I've ever met. Uh, I always want to just know what went on in your household as a kid because you seem so even keeled and you seem like someone that has little anxiety. And you've told me before you're not a big worrier. Maybe that's changed now with a kid or with age, but what, what's going on there? What's, what's, what, what, what what's chips did you get stuck in your head that I didn't? <laughs> Uh, well, as you said, the, the household had a lot to do with it, if not everything to do with it. I am one of five. I have two brothers and two sisters. And uh, my parents were uh, people who very much prioritized family. They prioritized their marriage uh, in terms of you know their own life paths and the decisions they made around family. Uh, and I think all of those things um, kind of bore fruit in our own lives, you know, because my father had started out in accounting and uh, was miserable as an accountant. And, uh, I, you know, I remember there was a trip when I think I was still an infant and we were lit. My parents are both from, from New York. Uh, and my father had an opportunity to go with an accounting firm and move to Chicago and took a trip. And I think maybe the whole family took the trip. Uh, I'm not certain of that, but when, you know, he went and looked at houses and the whole nine yards. So it was kind of like the move was uh, impending. And on the way back, he said to my wife, I, I don't want to move to Chicago. I don't want to be an accountant. I want to be a teacher and I want to live in New York. Uh, so you know, to me, that was kind of emblematic of like my father making a decision, first of all, that would make him happy and kind of center like his own peace of mind, his own integrity, and not doing what maybe other people felt he should be doing. Um, so he kind of put his foot down and said, you know, I, I want to be a teacher. So he taught for 30 years in Brooklyn, in Bushwick, in a public school there, and was very happy doing so and was home by, you know, 3.30 maybe or whatever it was and coached our baseball teams and basketball and all that kind of stuff and was there for us, you know, and, and uh, same with our mom. She didn't work for most of our childhoods. Uh, went, she went into teaching uh, once my youngest sister was, I think, in high school. So yeah, they, um, it's a long way of saying my parents really set a foundation where they valued family and valued time spent together. So I think that kind of... Um, you know, uh, helped me out in, in a lot of regards. Right. And, and they must have been extremely um, present and engaging, I would imagine, because my, pa my parents were both gone for a work, but they were around a lot. They weren't um, necessarily physically absent, but it seems to me, um, my, my father's a very quiet guy. I've talked about it here. And maybe I wasn't particularly engaged we would play catch and we'd go to red sox games but maybe not the overly vocally responsive it seems like they must have been extremely engaged and conversational uh as well is that yeah right? well yeah I, I specifically remember dinner time being a focus of like we always ate together all seven of us 
around the table. And in some respects, that was almost like stand up or like improv in the sense, you know, every all my, my family is fun. They're funny. Uh, you know, even though my parents were like active in the church and community and stuff like that, they were irreverent and had good senses of humor. Uh, so dinner time was kind of entertaining and you, you got to be around your favorite people, essentially, you know, my brothers and sisters, my parents. And uh, yeah, so that, that was very much, I think, a cornerstone of, um, you know, maybe the things that you alluded to of me being someone who's balanced and, uh, you know, has some peace of mind. You know, I, I, I would say part of it probably is just my, my DNA and my makeup and, you know, fortunate to, uh, to not be suffering with uh, mental illness of, of any kind in any significant way. Because I, I do have, you know, family members who have had, uh, you know, manic depression and um, uh, depression and, you know, clinical depression. And so I'm very intimately familiar with those things and those obstacles. But again, I think coming from a, a strong family foundation and a very communicative family, uh, even that we've dealt with over the years in kind of a uh, holistic way. And, um, you know, we've kind of worked through a lot of those things together. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. We, uh, my family, we, we'd sit around the table for a little while. I can remember that, but a lot of times it became TV. It was a lot of TV tray dinner in front of the TV, um, which, you know, maybe had some positive effects. I don't know. I was really into, uh, you know, sitcoms, I suppose, but there was a lot of, um, and it seems like your family also from knowing you is very engaged in, um, political conversation and activism and also uh, philosophical conversation, probably. Like most of the conversations in my family, if you start talking serious or politically, my mother or someone will go, okay, 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 guys, come on, that's enough of that. And <laughs> it, it wasn't until years later, I started to get really frustrated. I'm like, well, let's have some conversation of substance. And I feel like that had a negative effect on me as this never wanting to talk about these things and never learning a lot of things because I wasn't, it was shut down. And my family was very much gossip oriented. There was a lot of gossip was the conversation to talk about family members that weren't there, which has still now instilled in me a feeling of everybody hates me is still in my mind of like, as soon as this ends, you're going to go talk to your wife and be like, what a neurotic idiot this guy is because that's how I kind of grew up. And, um, that to me seems like if I was to have a family of my own or children of my own would be a thing of what do you guys think about this? Not necessarily bringing up, you know, the election if they're two, but maybe what did you, what did you think about what happened today? Processing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't get a sense that like my parents weren't too heavily political, you know, it wasn't like they were, uh, organizing politically or, or they were engaged for sure. And, and they, were Democrats. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't like, uh, too heavy handed. I think again, like for, for them having been in the church and stuff. Uh, but I always say like, although they were involved in, in the Catholic church, uh, in, in many different capacities, like they did pre Cana, which is kind of like a course you have to do if you're going to get married in the church. So they would like have, uh, I don't know if it was like maybe six to eight, 
engaged couples coming to our house every Wednesday or whatever it was. So it was, our house was like a kind of a revolving door of like people coming in and out. And, you know, my parents were teaching this course to engaged couples, uh, kind of just giving them a framework for uh, skills and uh, communication um, techniques, you know, that, that would help them in their marriage. Uh, but my parents were also pretty radical. Like my mom was always fighting for women priests, uh, gay priests, married priests. So although like they were serving in some capacity in the church, I think they instilled in us like a sense of community in that respect, but also uh, like a kind of a radical way of pushing back and artic articulating if you don't agree with something, uh, so my mom was very particularly very fierce with that and, and was a great role model of like, she was almost always in some battle with, <laughs> with the parish or the, uh, the larger church, you know? Right. That sounds great. I mean, that sounds beautiful and inspiring and also again, instilling in you. And I think this comes back to anxiety is what I'm sort of thinking about is the idea of like, if you believe in something, you can stand up for that and you can, you can, you can fight for that and you can express that where I feel like, uh, again, speaking personally, there was a lot of like, all right, well, this is how it is. So I guess that's how it has to be. And I'll just sit here quietly and then holding in, um, any emotion and, and feeling and thoughts, which I'm something yeah. I still struggle with now, which we've talked about before, uh, out of fear. And again, that builds into anxiety of like not wanting to, speak up about anything and just being like, all right, well, this guy hates me and he's being shitty to me, but uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just deal with that. Um, and so I think a lot of anxiety uh, comes from that as well. I mean, this is interesting to me because I feel like you're one of the first guests we've had on who does not struggle with anxiety um, and depression. So I have to come at it from a different angle of how did you, not, not how do you deal with stress, uh, anxiety and depression, how the hell did you get here without it? And again, I don't want to just, I assume you have anxiety at times and you worry. Certainly. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, no. Uh, yeah, obviously just differentiating between clinical depression or anxiety uh, that can be, you know, crippling and really um, impact your life in, in very serious ways versus, you know, a manageable normal level of, of anxiety or depression around certain things or certain life events, that kind of thing. Um, again, I, I do think that, you know, having family members who uh, uh, ha have battled uh, bipolar and depression, uh, I, I was there to kind of uh, companion them at, at various points. Uh, so I was kind of intimately aware of, of those struggles and how profound those struggles uh, can be. And I've also seen them come out on the other side and uh, all the time and, and work and effort that went into that and ups and downs and real, uh, you know, depths of despair. Um, you know, so, so I, I really, um, you know, that, that really touched me in a profound way to kind of witness uh, those journeys in my, in my family members. And to see them come out on the other side, you know, like I have a brother now who is a peer-to-peer -peer counselor for mental health and helps those who are, are kind of where he was uh, at various times in his life. So, uh, yeah, to see, to see that and to see my other, sibling, other siblings who have uh, battled depression and, and certain things, and my mom, uh, you know, to see the way they kind of um, 
worked through it, you know, and did so with the help of other people. I think that's such an important ingredient is, is uh, to have support and have some system around you uh, in, in the micro sense of, of your immediate family and friends. And then the macro of like maybe, um, you know, therapy and, um, support groups and, and what have you. So, yeah, although I specifically haven't had those kind of battles with, uh, clinical depression myself, I've been around it enough so that I have an appreciation for it. And I think it instilled in me a real desire for balance and for being aware of my own um, ups and downs and kind of self-correcting if I feel like uh, if I'm falling into despair or if I'm, maybe I'm getting too manic or too hyped, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I use those words because <laughs> it's kind of the language uh, that I grew up with. Um, but yeah, just that self-correction of, of uh, balance is, is uh, kind of a, a word that I return to uh, pretty frequently. Right. Now, and I, are you a meditator? Do you meditate still? Because I feel like I remember you referencing meditation before years ago we talked and I had talked about, uh, I, was, I was sober, but I, later on after getting sober from alcohol and drugs, I was never a drug addict though, but um, thinking about, hearing about, and I still have this now, I hear about mushrooms and LSD and, you know, psilocybin, whatever. And these, um, experiences with psychedelics and that you can get into this really amazing realm and it can change your life and all this. And I remember you commenting, you can get there through meditation, which I've heard and studied. And that's what I'm interested in now. I'm a big meditator as well. Is that something you're still doing and exploring? Yeah, n not as frequently as other points in my life, but I do return to that. Even if it's just a quiet, you know, five to 10 minute stretch or, you know, maybe finding time in nature uh, and kind of quieting myself and my mind. Um, yeah, I kind of feel as though, you know, at times those other uh, activities can in, in a way almost be an escape from really communing with yourself. Not, I'm not saying that you can't do, you know, both or, or that, that, uh, drug use is inherently bad, you know, because people have epiphanies and all sorts of great experiences uh, with that. But what I'm saying is, if, if it is a diversion from really sitting with yourself and sitting with perhaps the larger energy that exists, um, then, you know, I think you're missing out maybe on, you know, like, that connection that 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 quietness that can reveal certain things to you as well right yeah that's that's what i'm trying to um get to i'm a big fan i mentioned it a lot uh sam harris has an, an app called waking up which i highly recommend it's fantastic and it's a guided meditation and he's got all kinds of different stuff he's got an introductory course which is 10 minute meditations and he does these meta uh, meditation, which are loving kindness meditations, where you sort of sit for 10 minutes and he guides you to where you're thinking about somebody that you love, somebody that's easy to love and um, that you have an uncomplicated relationship with. So I, one of the times I used Mike Vecchione, I just sat, Mike Vecchione, wonderful comedian who's been on the show. He has no idea that so for 12, 12 minutes, I just sat thinking about Mike and 
getting emotional and just thinking about what a great man he is. That's, <laughs> no. a, that's a good, the Vecchione meditation, is it? That's a good one. <laughs> well, he, he is an uncomplicated man to love in that, uh, you know, there's, there's, no, there's never been a moment where I'm like, oh, if, if Vecchione weren't here, I would have <laughs> yeah. had fun or anything. So he, but, makes, he makes it easy to love him. He is, and he's a he's a wonderful comedian. Go check out his albums. Um, Fantastic, yep. The audience, not you. Um, I mean, you can as well. I will. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> but, uh, the audience, but um, yeah. So there's all these great guided meditations, but he gets into the um, um, non-duality meditation, and that there is no self, and I can get into these um, moments, brief moments of like that, the freakiness of that there is no self there is no small you where you think mm. um like he'll often advise you to think about something uh that you saw earlier today and come up with an image a memory of something that happened earlier and then he said now turn attention on itself and try to see what is thinking about that and right. that's when it starts to get in depth and you're like there is no uh self there your thoughts are just coming and it's all appearing in um consciousness right and right i've had these moments of quite quite trippy where yeah. you get into there and and he also talks about how there's no free will your thoughts are just coming you you can't create your thought that thought has just has come to you from nowhere essentially and sure i'll start to just be like this is insane. I'm like, oh, this is what people are talking about when they go out into the mountains and do mushrooms. So then I, I brought it up to my friend who does mu mushrooms in Joshua Tree. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I've never had that experience. So then I was like, well, maybe I'm having a, a better experience than, than tripping, if that makes sense. I don't want to say better. That doesn't quite, that's not yeah. the right word. Yeah, yeah. Well, well it's funny because, you know, I, I was uh, watching and loving your special, I Hate Myself. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And and, you know, as I was watching, I, I thought of Eckhart Tolle because of exactly what you're talking about. He has this, uh, this meditation on, you know, I don't know if it was that phrase in particular, but in essence, what, what he was pointing out is kind of what, you, you know, uh, paraphrasing what you were saying. To say I hate myself is like, almost like the self is other, right? It's like, it's you know, uh, like when people say, I can't stand myself or, you know, I can't live with myself. Uh, it's like, it's like the part, it, 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 there is a separation there in some way, even in the verbiage, right? Yeah, that's the duality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it is such a fascinating thing um, to, to think about, uh, like, as like observing yourself as separate from from yourself. And also, of being part of a larger whole that you're not in fact not separate like that you know there is a connection you know so it, it is it's fascinating and in a lot of ways uh it's funny to me in it's strictly in the sense that people think of comedians as not being i think maybe i'm wrong uh like to to reflect on these types of things and in a way especially from other comedians at times you can kind of get shit for if you are too uh, lovey-dovey or, or, you know, uh, there, there's almost expected to be an edge. And I, and I get that, you know, it is funny that, you know, we, we give each other shit and it's all part of it and roasting and all these types of things. 
but there is also, I think, room for, for the vulnerability of, of the things that we're talking about here, like the exploration and the not knowing and the quiet time. You know, I mean, quiet time is so important to stand up in general. Uh, but yeah, I, I think those are valuable tools, both in life and in, um, you know, creating. Yeah, it, it, it's a really, I mean, that was, a, you said a lot there that I wanted to respond to just at the beginning, talking about, again, the duality is that this idea of, I, ha- I have a body and I have a mind, mm-hmm. but I'm not my body and I'm not my, so who, who is the I having the mind and the body? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it gets, uh, again, it gets a little um, trippy there. Um, but, the, and then the second part of what you were talking about, you're a, a comic, as I, I hope people are familiar with you, and I hope if, if they're not, they should be uh, after this. But you're somebody that really, um, and Gary Goldman and I had this conversation a long time ago. Every time we watch you perform stand up comedy, we end up slowing ourselves down. <laughs> for at least a couple sets. Maybe we go back to our, and that's something I've struggled with. Uh, I think coming from Boston or just the nature of who I am, I'm talking too fast. People, when I started, people always said, you talk too fast. We can't understand what you're saying and you got to slow down. What is it? I guess I have a few questions about this. What is it that makes you work so slowly? Is it that's, have you always worked that way? Is it just because you're actually exploring yourself? Because it seems like you're really exploring the space and the way you move and then the space and time in which you're delivering your jokes. And you're, I've never seen a comedian in less of a hurry than you in my life. <laughs> what, 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 where did that come from? What is the uh, origin of that? I think that, uh, well, thank you. And I think that developed over time, you know, because when I watch early sets of myself, you know, in my, uh, you know, mid 20s or even uh, early 30s, there was more of a a rush and um, I was louder. I was more um, physical and animated, you know, sometimes unnecessarily. So I think, you know, now I'm 51. So over 28 years of doing standup uh, and, you know, watching a lot of standup and, and performing uh, all over the place, you know, you kind of, uh, you start to really shed the things that no longer, you know, uh, no longer serve you or things that are, have been examined, you know, cause when you start, you're so, raw and you're just figuring everything out that there can't really be too much analysis you just anything that gets a laugh is what you latch on to but over the years for me uh i don't know if i if i thought if i associated um volume and energy with almost crutches you know and i thought like well wouldn't it be interesting to explore the opposite where and also in conversation, right? You're not always at the same pitch and you're not always uh, affecting that stand-up delivery and that stand-up rhythm. You know, like, how can I make it more that I'm just existing on stage and speaking how I might in conversation? So, you know, I think it evolved. I certainly didn't start out that way. Uh, I, I kind of evolved to get to where I am. Right. Well, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting and fun to watch and uh, you're a guy that i always like oh let me go see what ted's doing down there um but it i remember um again a conversation we had a long time ago 
where you were kind of one of the first guys I heard referring to yourself as an artist, like a like comedy as an art of like, oh, right, I should really care. Because like you said, I remember, I mean, I started doing VFWs and firehouses and trying to graduate to comedy clubs and kind of trying to be this guy just getting laughs and the, the thought of, um, oh, maybe I could try to, uh, I am artistic in some way, I guess I'm creating in a way sure, that is sure. designed to be entertaining, which is sort of my definition of art. I don't know what the actual definition of art is, but expressing yourself with the intent to entertain others to me is um, artistic. So yeah. the idea of like, maybe I could try to do something more or try to do something different instead of just going you know, I, I fucked a lady and it was crazy, right? <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Um, right, right. It's, it's sort of, that, that's an interesting thing about comedy is trying to find the balance of I'm an artist and also I'm, I'm telling dick jokes in a, a bar. Um, sure. It's a weird, is that something you consciously try to balance and think about or it doesn't really cross your mind? Well, again, I think it is uh, by virtue of just having done it a long time and having done all the types of gigs you're talking about and then evolving and going into other spaces where maybe I could explore more or, or slow down or take chances, you know, that I wouldn't do at a firehouse necessarily or a corporate gig or wherever. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned Gary Goldman because he and I were talking about uh, his special, The Great Depression, and I said, you know, I mean, I started in New York City, uh, kind of split my time between the Long Island scene, uh, which could be very much like what we're talking about, that blue collar, uh, you know, like a VFW hall type of gig, uh, and New York City. Uh, so I was going back and forth doing both, uh, and Gary started in Boston. So I said to him, you know, could you have even worked on this this new hour, this uh, this special, The Great Depression? Could you imagine developing that material in the clubs that you started in in Boston? And he said, absolutely not. Like, there's no way he could have been that vulnerable or been talking about, uh, you know, being in the psych ward. It, you know, it just wouldn't have flown. Uh, and I, and I guess, like I was saying earlier too. Uh, you can't really divorce it from the fact that now he's, you know, uh, I, I don't know if Gary's 50 or close to it, but, you know, he and I are around the same age. So when you're doing stand-up for decades uh, and you've done all of every, essentially every gig there is to do, uh, at a certain point, you kind of start to explore uh, what do I have to say, you know, what what matters to me and how do I want to say it, you know? Um, and, and not everyone. And, and I'm, I'm honestly not even judging anyone who, who doesn't, who just, you know, I, I laugh really hard at, at a lot of different comedians who have styles that I don't have. Uh, so it's not a judgment. It's just that I think for some people over the years, you, you know, you're almost like drawn to uh, how can I uh, use this skill that I've developed to talk about things that that maybe matter a little more to me and, and not for your whole set. Like I wouldn't do an hour of like talking about social justice cause it would bore me quite honestly, but like, how can I put that into a, you know, a percentage of my set? Yeah. You've done an amazing job of that to me. And I think uh, a lot of people, uh, comedians these days have, have lost that thing of they're talking about social justice, but without really any punchlines, 
Uh, and uh, you're someone that manages to do such a great job of talking about that stuff with the punchlines, um, which is fantastic. And I appreciate as a as a lover of comedy and uh, also uh, civil rights. <laughs> I'm a fan of I'm a fan of both of those things. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know if you can do both, you know, if you if you can write a funny joke that has like maybe an edge to it or like kind of lands on something a bit uh, with a thump, you know, that really kind of like maybe. Uh, unsettles people, but they're also laughing. I like that kind of reaction where a room is like, you can, you can almost feel the, you know, uh, like it's a little unsettling, but people are laughing. You know, I, I, I like that. But, um, but to your point, like, I'm not, I'm not interested in just getting applause breaks because people agree with me. Right. Yeah. But I think Patrice O'Neill had a thing like that. Of, he liked the idea of 50% of the audience laughing and 50% of the people uh, uncomfortable or upset. I can't remember what his exact quote was or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. If they're upset for a reason that I intended uh, or that I'm okay with, then that's fine. You know, uh, if, but if they're upset for a reason that I didn't intend uh, or that I somehow misstepped, uh, then, you know, I, I have some thinking to do, but, but, you know, usually uh, if I'm talking about these things, these are things that I've thought long and hard about so that it's, you know, I'm, I'm steering the ship uh, with, with purpose. Yeah, see, I kind of feel the complete opposite uh, in regards to my, my podcast, at least, where, not this podcast, my other podcast, where I have not thought about these things at all. I'm just saying whatever's coming to my head and uh, they're fun. And then if people get upset, I'm like, shit, oh, geez, you're probably right. I don't know. I didn't, I, was, I wasn't thinking about this. Um, yeah. And that's the difference I, to me with, um, at least for my other podcast, Tuesdays with Stories, which is irreverent and improvised and fast and, and ridiculous. Because, I, and I want to ask about this too, because um, I, I grew up thinking, or to me, comedy was, part of comedy was saying something that you should never say. That's insane. That is the wrong thing to say. And that's part of what a comedian does. And now I've had conversations where I'm like, I do question it with my friend, Mike Kaplan, who was a wonderful person, you know, and he's, um, yeah. for lack of a better word, he's, he's very politically correct. And we've had really great dis discussions about my thing is like, well, I, I like irreverence. I like saying things that are insane or crazy. And he's made great cases on why you shouldn't. And we're friends. We respect each other. We love each other. And so it's a wonderful um, dialogue that makes me think and I can make him think. There's certainly yeah. people on social media that would say, you're a bad person. You're a piece of shit. This person shouldn't be allowed to work again. <laughs> right, what, right. How do you... Um, how do you how do you decipher those two things? How do you um, judge people for when they say things that you don't agree with? How do you mm -hmm. reconcile that and move past that? I mean, you mentioned being friends yeah. with uh, friendly with a Trump guy. You seem right. to be able to do that. And do you do you hate me? Is my other question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the uh, second part first. Uh, I do not hate you, Joe. I love you. In fact, great. Uh, I love you. I'll work backwards from there. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, with what people call like PC culture and stuff, I think a lot of it is just uh, evolving to a point where more perspectives are valued. You know, like when I started in comedy, uh, that was not the case. I started in these rooms where 
it was the loudest voice, often the most combative voice, uh, and usually a male voice that was the most prized. And uh, that was also pre-social media. So I think what's happening now is if a special comes out, uh, it doesn't happen uh, without feedback, you know? Like, can you imagine if during the Dice Clay years, social media existed? Like, I think there may have been some people that had issues, even in the 80s or 90s, whatever that was, I think it was the 80s, uh, or, or Eddie Murphy's uh, early albums, you know? Like, what has changed is that everyone can voice their opinion from their home, you know? So it's not, right. it's not just the dynamic of the theater or the club, you know, which has its own set of rules, certainly. When you're sharing something publicly now, people can respond in real time uh, from the comfort of their home and they can say, I didn't care for this or that thought. And I have no problem with that, you know? Uh, you, you can then, as the artist, as the comedian, you can digest what's being said and you can assess, uh, did I mean that? Did, was that my intention? Uh, and is regardless of whether or not it was my intention, like, was that hurtful? Was that a blind spot for me? You know, there are jokes that I told on my first album, second album, uh, or, or even third, you know, that I wouldn't do now just because it wouldn't square with uh, who I am now. You know, if I'm in some way making fun of a certain group of people or, uh, being kind of flippant towards them, you know, like you, you started this question, this question by talking about like the fun of saying the, uh, the wrong thing, you know, the thing that is obviously in some way, not the thing to say. Uh, but in a sense, I almost think that that is, uh, maybe, a like a juvenile impulse and in, not to say that I don't have it, but like, that's like the 12 year old me of like, I'm going to say, you know, to get a rise out of people. It's a, it's, it's kind of low hanging fruit. So now as a 51 year old man who's married and has a child, you know, uh, and has been involved in, in activism and stuff, maybe I have more of a, a, a wider perspective and more of a sensitivity that, uh, like who is the target of this thing that I'm saying just for a laugh or just to show how, um, you know, how devil may care I, I am like that, you know, I can say, I can say anything in the name of free speech. You can say anything, you know, and that's the other thing you can say anything, but that doesn't mean that everyone with the phone can't respond to what you're saying. So I think there is a balance that now there are uh, repercussions uh, that people can speak back to you in real time that did not exist when I started in comedy. Right. See, yeah, those, see, those are the kind of um, like thoughtful conversations I, I enjoy about the topic where obviously on social media, everything gets broken down very quickly and uh, <laughs> people become a, a terrible person. Like an example I had, which was, I thought a funny joke when, when Kobe died, I had a, a joke that I, this is where ego comes in. I tweet it because I want everyone to see what a clever joke I came up with was um, I'm so glad I didn't have helicopter parents, which is essentially a pun. Um, and I tweeted, I'm like, that's great. And I tweeted it. And then, I mean, it just went south fast. Um, no, no pun intended again, but I mean, I mean, a lot of people loved it and I was just getting retweeted, but it was blowing up fast. And again, like what we talked about earlier, I have no, 
I have no interest in upsetting anybody. I don't, I like, I like a reverent humor and there's lots of people that also enjoy it. So they enjoy hearing it and I'm bringing them yeah. joy when people that don't like it, hear it and are upset. I feel terrible. I'm like, Oh geez, I didn't mean to upset you. And I, I took it down pretty quick because my thought was, well, I'm not going to die on this hill again, probably poor choice of words, not, 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 not intended. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm like, this is a pun about the term helicopter parents. I don't, need i'm not gonna lose a career or get too much shit for this and i realized this is something i can just send to people that have this similar sense of humor which right, many yeah. of my friends have most of them actually well that's just it too right there's context to things where you know things that i might say to my wife or to my family like irreverent things that are just meant for the room that i wouldn't want broadcast you know because they're not in you know they're not intended for that um, I, I might not say on stage, you know, because it's specific to the context of, of what you're talking about, you know, like, but I also feel like, you know, there is this phenomenon and I think social media feeds into it that everything is just reduced to fodder for a joke, right? Especially for comedians, but, but for everyone, uh, like, so your brain, like the fact that, uh, however many people it was, eight people just died in in a uh, a helicopter crash. Like your your mind puts that aside immediately to to mine. Uh, like okay, what what's funny about this? You know, because it's not your loved one. It's not your. Uh, so I find that dynamic can be problematic, and I'm I'm not pointing at you specifically because I've done the same thing. So I, I try to just be aware. Like, am I reducing everything? Am I reducing like the most painful thing in someone's life uh, to uh, to a joke unnecessarily? Um, so yeah, I, I I try to be mindful again of you know, like you said, there's better ways to get a laugh, and you you don't want to um, you know it, it it doesn't square with with who I am and and what I'm about. You know, it's it's not worth it ultimately. Right. Um, just a, a quick, quick moment in my defense. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't like, it's not like I sat, I didn't sit down with the uh, notebook open. I know you're not being specific about me. I understand right. you're talking right. about the greater picture. But yes. again, I, I, I cite Sam Harris and my lack of free will where um, I, I am, your honor, you know, I'm thinking of uh, if I could call Mr. Harris to the stand, um, <laughs> the stand, the comedy club, the stand. Um, but right. my, in my mind, I'm thinking, I, I was thinking, boy, how awful this guy is a parent and, you know, and then a helicopter parent comes to mind and it's like, sure. oh, that's funny. That's interesting. Helicopter it parent. It's a funny, yeah, it's a, it is a funny thing. But then, then you have to kind of, you do have to kind of weigh uh, what you are contributing to. Uh, right, right. In a sense, you know what I mean? Um, I don't think everything... You know, and and I'm I'm not even saying I'm right about this. I'm just sure. saying my opinion is uh, not everything has to be reduced to like the comedic construct of how can I, you know, uh, how can I turn this, you know, into a, a punchline or or in some way, and and I think the intent is probably rooted in in something good that you, you, people want to laugh about the darkest moments or the, the most painful traumatic moments. 
but uh, sometimes you don't have to do that in real time, you know, like <laughs> as soon as you find out. Right, right. Right. Well, I mean, another um, thought I had in that situation or people will go, well, this person just died. I'm like, well, yeah, well, they're not going to see it. This is for these people over here. If, if, if you screenshot it and text it to uh, their family members, that would be horrendous, which, which is something that happens in comedy. This is sort of a, maybe a separate conversation in some ways where people will go, and we're getting away from mindfulness and uh, anxiety, I guess, but I guess this is something I'm anxious about in my life, so we can tie it in that way. But sometimes people will take something so-and-so said at a comedy club. I remember Tracy Morgan getting in trouble because he said this and then they, they blast it out to the public and you're like, well, we right. all bought a ticket. And we went into this basement where, like we referenced earlier, a comedian is going to say some crazy shit and the people yeah. that buy the ticket go, we're going to go hear this comedian say things and then they take it out of there and then throw it onto NBC News and I'm like, well, now you're showing it to people that certainly are not going to like it. Again, in the name of capitalism, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like there is almost kind of a contract when you enter a space like that, that, you know, Tracy Morgan wasn't intending this for the wider public consumption. He's just talking shit and probably working through ideas the way he does. Uh, yeah, so I kind of felt like that was almost a betrayal of uh, the, the contract of, of what goes on at a comedy club. Um, whereas, you know, but when, but when you're tweeting, um, that, that by nature is, is public. So sure. you kind of have to, uh, you have to kind of suffer the consequences in, <laughs> right. in certain, certain cases. Yeah. Or delete and throw your phone across the room and, uh, <laughs> right. and, just, and go, right. yeah, never Thanks. happened. Um, but anyways, well, we got to start to, uh, wrap up and I, I appreciate your time, but I just want to ask, so now you have a child, the world is in whatever situation and uh our leadership is what our leadership is how how much time and I, we've talked about worry before and you you we talked about it on uh the ultimate warrior series which you were right. part of i appreciate I loved it one of my favorite appearances <laughs> oh, thank you <laughs> thank you yeah my friend frankie gwynn uh i think printed a photo of you and had you sign it which i loved oh that's right yes um yes. but you kind of talked about and you did a great job of just playing it straight and answering as you which i loved and <laughs> You kind of talked, you explained to the ultimate warrior that worry doesn't really help. Do you still approach life that way and feel that way even with the child or is, are you staying up at night going, oh my God, what happens if it goes wrong? No, I think by nature, I'm still not much of a worrier. I mean, I do have my moments, especially now as a husband, a father that, you know, there's more than just me to consider. Uh, so uh, maybe I, you know, I do worry a bit more than I did as a single man. Um, but I think by nature, uh, I kind of uh, have faith that if I proceed with intention and, and trying to do what's best and, and obviously in dialogue with my wife and, uh, you know, kind of make decisions that are considered and, and um, rooted in some sort of you know, like that, that I'm not just proceeding without considering uh, options or considering consequences. Um, you know, I, I can be at peace with however things work out. And certainly if you focus on these larger things that you're talking about, uh, there, there's ample room for, for concern and worry. 
So I do participate in whatever ways I can in trying to maybe uh, voice or advocate for a world that I would like to see, you know, where, where people are cared for and, and basic things like healthcare uh, are provided and, and, you know, different things like that. Um, but ultimately, uh, maybe getting back to what we were saying earlier, like I realized that I'm one of, of many. So like if I participate in these movements, that, that's why I like to, to be involved in activism because I show up as one person who is aligning myself with all of these other voices and we are saying, you know, our, our hope is together by voicing this thing, uh, we can contribute to more people uh, considering that it, that changes need to be made. So that's, you know, the, I guess that gives me uh, a bit of hope to that, it, that I'm part of a whole, you know? Um, yeah. That, that uh, resonates with me. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a beautiful thing, of course. And you're taking, there's something I'm a actively sober person and that's a big part of what we do is sort of trying to do the next right thing and take the next right action. And then uh, the rest is pretty much out of our hands, which has allowed me more than anything else to be less anxious is the understanding that I can only control what I'm doing and try to do the next right thing and again the rest i can't really control an election or covid or whatever else i can i can vote and sign a petition and donate money and and be kind um and that's allowing me to to worry less of like i'm worrying about things that i can't control and when i'm suffering i can kind of ask myself what am i trying to control right now and um that's usually it's some, the answer is something. There's something I'm trying to control that I can't control, whether it be uh, someone else's well-being or somebody else's feelings or how somebody else thinks or how somebody's reacting to me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. letting go of that has been really helpful. Yeah, and I think, honestly, even what you're doing here with this podcast is, is helpful, I'm sure, to yourself, but to a, a wider uh, audience of people to talk about these things because you know these are things that, obviously affect everyone and issues and you know anxiety depression or just your your mental well-being in general um so talk i think you know so often just like talking about whatever it is rather than uh keeping it bottled up or turning it on yourself uh in some way is such a big step towards um you know just uh well-being yeah that's what that's what i'm going for and it's been really uh rewarding to use kind of i guess a cheesy-ish word but that's the comedian in me not trying not to uh whatever but i mean the the reviews and the emails and the tweets have been um the most uh it's the proudest i've ever been of anything in my career is the reaction to this podcast even though it's not a huge group of people listening but uh, people seem to really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. So I am grateful that uh, you took time to do it. I've been wanting to have you on. And uh, also just a great excuse to talk to you for an hour. I enjoy talking to you. So. <laughs> you too, buddy. I, you know, I know we had talked uh, a while back, so I'm glad we, we finally made it happen. I always love talking to you as well. Oh, thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. Well, keep fighting the good fight. And uh, thank you. Oh, do you want to plug something? Uh Gosh, well, I have the Ted Alexandro show, uh, which live streams every Monday and Thursday on YouTube at 7 p.m. Eastern. So uh, check that out. 
Beautiful. All right. I've only seen the clips on Instagram, but I laugh at them every time. Thanks, so. buddy. All right. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate it. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.